Meditations on Death, a bridle to curb the lusts. From Human Nature in its Fourfold State by Thomas Boston. Man's life is vanity. For I know that you will bring me to death and to the house appointed for all living. Job 30, verse 23. I come now to discourse a man's eternal state into which he enters by death. Of this entrance, Job takes a solemn, serious view in the words of the text which contain a general truth and a particular application of it. The general truth is supposed, namely, that all men must die. By death, they are removed out of this world. But where must they go? They must go to the house appointed for all living, to the grave, that darksome, gloomy, solitary house in the land of forgetfulness. Wherever the body is laid up until the resurrection, there is to a dwelling house death brings us home. While we are in the body, we are but in a lodging house, in an inn, on our way homeward. When we come to our grave, we come to our home, our long home, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 5. Living must be inhabitants of this house, good and bad, old and young. Man's life is a stream running into death's devouring deeps. Those who now live in palaces must leave them and go home to this house. And those who have not where to lay their heads shall have a house at length. It is appointed for all by him whose counsel shall stand. This appointment cannot be shifted. It is a law which mortals cannot transgress. Job's application of this general truth to himself is expressed in these words. For I know that you will bring me to death and to the house appointed for all living. He knew that he must meet with death, that his soul and body must part. The God who had set the time would certainly see it kept. Sometimes Job was inviting death to come to him and carry him home to its house. Yea, he was in the hazard of running to it before the time, Job 7 verse 15. My soul chooses strangling and death rather than my life. But here he considers God would bring him to it. Yes, bring him back to it, as the word imports. Whereby he seems to intimate that we have no life in this world, but as runaways from death, which stretches out his cold arms to receive us from the womb. But though we do then narrowly escape its clutches, we cannot escape long. We shall be brought back again to it. Job knew this. He had laid it down as a certainty and was looking for it. All must die. Although this doctrine is confirmed by the experience of all former generations ever since Abel entered into the house appointed for all living, and all the living know that they shall die, yet it is needful to discourse of the certainty of death that it may be impressed on the mind and duly considered. Therefore consider, there is an unalterable statute of death under which all men are concluded, it is appointed unto men once to die, Hebrews 9, verse 27. It is laid up for them. His parents lay up for their children. They may look for it and cannot miss it, seeing God has designed and reserved it for them. There is no peradventure in it. We must die, Second Samuel 14, verse 14. Though some men will not hear of death, yet every man must see death, Psalm 89, verse 48. Death, as a champion, all must grapple with. We must enter the lists with it, and it will have the mastery, Ecclesiastes 8, verse 8. 
There is no man that has power over the spirit to retain the spirit. Neither has he power in the day of death. Those indeed who are found alive at Christ's coming shall all be changed. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 51. But that change will be equivalent to death. It will answer the purposes of it. All other people must go the common road, the way of all flesh. Let us consult daily observation. Every man sees the wise men die, likewise the full and brutish person. Psalm 49 verse 10. There is room enough on this earth for us, notwithstanding the multitudes that were upon it before us. They are gone to make room for us, as we must depart to make room for others. It is long since death began to transport men into another world, and vast multitudes are gone there already. Yet the work is going on still. Death is carrying off new inhabitants daily to the house appointed for all living. Who has ever heard the grave say, It is enough? Long has it been getting, but still it asks. This world is like a great fair or market, where some are coming in, others going out, while the assembly that is in it is confusion. And the most part know not why they are come together, or like a town situated on the road to a great city, through which some travelers have passed, some are passing, while others are only coming in, Ecclesiastes 1 verse 4. One generation passes away, and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. Death is inexorable, an irresistible messenger, who cannot be diverted from executing his orders by the force of the mighty, the bribes of the rich or the entreaties of the poor. It does not reverence the hoary head nor pity the harmless babe. The bold and daring cannot outbrave it, nor can the faint-hearted obtain a discharge in this war. The human body consists of perishing materials. Genesis 3 verse 19 Dust you are, and to dust you shall return. The strongest are but brittle earthen vessels, easily broken in shivers. The soul is but basely housed while in this mortal body, which is not a house of stone, but a house of clay. The mud walls cannot but molder away, especially seeing the foundation is not on a rock, but in the dust. They are crushed before the moth, though this insect be so tender that the gentle touch of a finger will destroy it. Job 4 verse 19 These materials are like gunpowder. A very small spark lighting on them will set them on fire and blow up the house. The seed of a raisin or hair and milk, having choked men and laid the house of clay in the dust. If we consider the frame and structure of our bodies, how fearfully and wonderfully we are made, and on how regular and exact emotion of the fluids and balance of humors our life depends, and that death has as many doors to enter in by as the body has pores. And if we compare the soul and body together, we may justly reckon that there is somewhat more astonishing in our life than in our death, and that it is more strange to see dust walking up and down on the dust than lying down in it. Though the lamp of our life may not be violently blown out, yet the flame must go out at length for lack of oil. What are those distempers and diseases which we are liable to, but death's harbingers that come to prepare his way? They meet us as soon as we set our foot on earth to tell us at our entry that we do but come into the world to go out again. Nevertheless, some are snatched away in a moment without being warned by sickness or disease. 
We have sinful souls and therefore have dying bodies. Death follows sin as the shadow follows the body. The wicked must die by virtue of the threatening of the covenant of works, Genesis 2, verse 17. And the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And a godly must die too, that is death hindered by sin. Sin may go out by death. Christ has taken away the sting of death as to them, though he has not as yet removed death itself. For though it fastens on them as a viper did on Paul's hands, it shall do them no harm. But because the leprosy of sin is in the walls of the house, it must be broken down and all the materials thereof carried forth. Man's life in this world, according to the scripture account of it, is but a few degrees removed from death. The scripture represents it as a vain and an empty thing short in its continuance, and swift in its passing away. First, man's life is a vain and empty thing. While it is, it vanishes away, and lo, it is not. Job 7, verse 6. My days are vanity. If we suspect afflicted Job of partiality in this manner, hear the wise and prosperous Solomon's character of the days of his life. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 15. All things have I seen in the days of my vanity. That is, my vain days. Moses, who was a very active man, compares our days to a sleep. Psalm 90, verse 5. There is a sleep, which is not noticed until it is ended. The resemblance is just. Few men have right apprehensions of life until death awakened them. Then we begin to know that we were living. We spend our years as a tale that is told. Verse 9. When an idle tale is telling... It may affect a little, but when it is ended, it is remembered no more. And so is a man forgotten when the fable of his life is ended. It is as a dream or vision of the night in which there is nothing solid. When one awakes, all vanishes. Job 20, verse 8. He shall fly away as a dream and shall not be found. Yes, he shall be chased away as a vision of the night. It is but a vain show or image. Psalm 39, 6. Surely every man walks in a vain show. Man in this world is but, as it were, a walking statue. His life is but an image of life. There is so much of death in it. If we look on our life in the several periods of it, we shall find it a heap of vanities. Childhood and youth are vanity, Ecclesiastes 11.10. We come into the world the most helpless of all animals. Young birds and beasts can do something for themselves. But infant man is altogether unable to help himself. Our childhood is spent in pitiful trifling pleasures, which become the scorn of our afterthoughts. Youth is a flower that soon withers, a blossom that quickly falls off. It is a space of time in which we are rash, foolish, and inconsiderate, pleasing ourselves with a variety of vanities, and swim in as it were through a flood of them. But before we are aware, it is past, and we are in middle age encompassed with a thick cloud of cares, through which we must grope, and finding ourselves beset with prickling thorns of difficulties, through them we must force our way to accomplish the projects and contrivances of our riper thoughts. The more we solace ourselves in any earthly enjoyment we attain to, the more bitterness do we find in parting with it. Then comes old age, attended with its own train of infirmities, labor, and sorrow. Psalm 90, verse 10, and sets us down next door to the grave. In a word, all flesh is like grass, Isaiah 46. Every stage or period in life is vanity. Man at his best state, his middle age, when the heat of youth is spent, 
and the sorrows of old age have not yet overtaken him as altogether vanity, Psalm 39.5. Death carries off some in the bud or childhood, others in the blossom of youth, and others when they are come to their fruit, fewer left standing until like ripe corn they forsake the ground. All die one time or other. Secondly, man's life is a short thing. It is not only vanity, but a short-lived vanity. Consider how the life of man is reckoned in the scriptures. It was indeed sometimes reckoned by hundreds of years, but no man ever arrived at a thousand, which yet bears no proportion to eternity. Now hundreds are brought down to scores. Three score and ten or four score is its utmost length. Psalm 90 verse 10. But few men arrive at that length of life. Death does but rarely wait until men be bowing down by reason of age to meet the grave. Yet, as if years were too big a word for such a small thing as the life of man on earth, we find it counted by months. Job 14 verse 5. The number of his months are with you. Our course like that of the moon is run in a little time. We are always waxing or waning until we disappear. But frequently it is reckoned by days, and these but few. Job 14, verse 1. Man that is born of a woman is a few days. No, it is but one day in Scripture account, and that a hireling's day, who will precisely observe when his day ends and give over his work. Verse 6. Until he shall accomplish as an hireling his day. The Scripture brings it down to the shortest space of time and calls it a moment. Second Corinthians 4, verse 17. Our light affliction, though it last all our life long, is but for a moment. Elsewhere it is brought down yet to a lower pitch, further than which one may carry it. Psalm 39.5, my age is as nothing before you. Agreeable to this, Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes 3.2, there is a time to be born and a time to die, but makes no mention of a time to live, as if her life were but a skip from the womb to the grave. Consider the various similitudes by which the scripture represents the shortness of man's life. Here Hezekiah, Isaiah 38 verse 12, My age is departed and is removed from me as a shepherd's tent. I'm cut off like a weaver's shuttle. The shepherd's tent is soon removed, for the flocks must not be long in one place. Such is a man's life on this earth, quickly gone. It is a web which he incessantly is working. He is not idle so much as for one moment. In a short time it is rot, and then it is cut off. Every breathing is a thread in this web. When the last breath is drawn, the web is woven out. He expires, and then it is cut off. He breathes no more. Man is like grass and like a flower, Isaiah 40, verse 6. All flesh, even the strongest and most healthy flesh, is grass, and all the goodness thereof is as a flower of the field. The grass is flourishing in the morning, but being cut down by the mowers in the evening, it is withered. So man sometimes is walking up and down at ease in the morning, and in the evening is lying a corpse, being struck down by a sudden blow with one or other of death's weapons. The flower at best is but a weak and tender thing, of short continuance wherever it grows. But observe, man is not compared to the flower of the garden, but to the flower of the field which the foot of every beast may tread down at any time. Thus is our life liable to a thousand accidents every day, any of which may cut us off. But though we should escape all these, yet at length this grass withers, this flower fades by itself. 
It is carried off as a cloud is consumed and vanishes away. Job 7, 9. It looks big as a morning cloud which promises great things and raises the expectation of the husbandman. But the sun rises and the cloud is scattered. Death comes and man vanishes. The Apostle James proposes a question. What is your life? Chapter 4, verse 14. Here is answer. It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. It is frail and certain and does not last. It is a smoke which goes out of the chimney as if it would darken the face of the heavens. But quickly it is scattered and appears no more. Thus goes man's life and where is he? It is wind. Job 7 verse 7. Or remember that my life is wind. It is but a passing blast, a short puff, a wind that passes away and comes not again. Psalm 78 verse 39. Our breath is in our nostrils as if it were always upon the wing to depart, ever passing and repassing, like a traveler until it goes away, not to return until the heavens be no more. Number three, man's life is a swift thing, not only a passing but a flying vanity. Have you not observed how swiftly a shadow runs along the ground in a cloudy and in a windy day, suddenly darkening the places beautified before with the beams of the sun? but is suddenly disappearing, such is the life of man on this earth, for he flees as a shadow and continues not. Job 14, verse 2. A weaver shuttle is a very swift thing in its motion. In a moment it is thrown from one side of the web to the other. Yet our days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Chapter 7, verse 6. How quickly is man tossed through time into eternity. See how Job describes the swiftness of the time of life in chapter 9, verses 25 to 26. Now my days are swifter than a runner. They flee away, they see no good. They are passed away as the swift ships, as the eagle that hastens to the prey. He compares this day with a runner who runs speedily to carry tidings and will make no stop. But though the runner were like a Himeaz, who overrun Cushai, our days would be swifter than he, for they flee away like a man fleeing for his life before the pursuing enemy. He runs with his utmost vigor, yet our days run as fast as he. But this is not all. Even he who is fleeing for his life cannot run always. He must need sometimes stand still, lie down, or turn in somewhere, as Cesare did into jails, tent to refresh himself. But our time never halts. Therefore it is compared to ships that can sail night and day without intermission until they reach their port, and to swift ships, ships of desire in which men quickly arrive at their desired haven, or ships of pleasure that sail more swiftly than ships of burden. Yet the wind failing, the ship's course is checked, but our time always runs with a rapid course. Therefore it is compared to the eagle flying, not with this ordinary flight, but that is not sufficient to represent the swiftness of our days. But when he flies upon his prey, which is with an extraordinary swiftness, and thus even thus are days fully away. Having thus discovered of death, let us apply the subject in discerning the vanity of the world, and bearing up with Christian contentment and patience under all troubles and difficulties in it, in mortifying our lusts, and cleaving to the Lord with full purpose of heart, at all hazards, and in preparing for death's approach. Let us hence, as in a mirror, behold the vanity of the world, and of all those things in it, 
which men so much value and esteem and therefore set their hearts upon. The rich are and the poor equally intent upon gaining this world. They bow the knee to it, yet it is but a clay god. They court to bulky vanity and run eagerly to catch a shadow. The rich man is hugged to death in its embraces, and the poor man wearies himself in his fruitless pursuit. What wonder if the world smiles overcome us when we pursue it so eagerly, even while it frowns upon us. But look into the grave, O oh man, consider and be wise. Listen to the doctrine of death and learn. That hold as hard as you can, you shall be forced to let go your hold of the world at length. Though you load yourself with the fruits of this earth, yet all shall fall off when you come to creep into your hole, the house underground appointed for all living. When death comes, you must bid an eternal farewell to your enjoyments in this world. You must leave your goods to another, Luke 12, verse 20. And who shall those things be which you have provided? Your portion of these things shall be very little before or long. If you lie down on the grass and stretch yourself at full length and observe the print of your body when you rise, you may see how much of this earth will fall to your share at last. And maybe you shall get a coffin and a winding sheet, but you're not even sure of that. Many who have had abundance of wealth, yet have not had so much when they took up their new house in the land of silence. But however that be, more you cannot expect. It was a sobering lesson which Saladin, when dying, gave to his soldiers. He called for his standard-bearer and ordered him to take a shroud upon a pole and go out to the camp with it and declared that of all of his conquests, victories, and triumphs, he had nothing now left him but that piece of linen to wrap his body in for burial. Number three, this world is a false friend who leaves a man in time of greatest need and flees from him when he has most to do. When you are lying on a deathbed, all your friends and relatives cannot rescue you. All your substance cannot ransom you, nor procure you a reprieve for one day, no, not for one hour. Yes, the more you possess of this world's good, your sorrow at death is likely to be the greater. For though one may live more commodiously in a palace than in a cottage, yet he may die more easily in the cottage where he has very little to make him fond of life. Secondly, it may serve as a storehouse for Christian contentment and patience under worldly losses and crosses. A close application of the doctrine of death is an excellent remedy against fretting and gives some ease to a troubled heart. When Job had sustained very great losses, he sat down contented with this meditation, Job 1, verse 21. Naked I came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When providence brings a mortality or disease among your cattle, how ready are you to fret and complain? But the serious consideration of your own death, to which you have a notable help from such providential occurrences, may be of use to silence your complaints and quiet your spirits. Look to the house appointed for all living and learn that you must suffer a more severe tragedy than the loss of worldly goods. Do not cry out because of an illness in the leg or arm, for before long there will be a long home thrust at the heart. You may lose your dearest relations. The wife may lose her husband, and the husband his wife. The parents may lose their dear children, and the children their parents. But if any of these trials happen to you, remember you must lose your own life at last. And why does the living man complain? Lamentation 3, verse 39. 
It is always profitable to consider under affliction that our case might have been worse than it is. Whatever is consumed or taken from us, it is of the Lord's mercies that we ourselves are not consumed. Verse 22. Number two, it is but for a short space of time that we are in this world. It is but a little that our necessities require in so short a space of time. When death comes, we shall stand in need of none of these things. Why should men rack their heads with cares how to provide for tomorrow? while they know not if they shall then need anything. Though a man's provision for his journey be nearly spent, he is not disquieted if he thinks he is near home. Are you working by candlelight, and is there little of your candle left? It may be there is as little sand in your glass, and if so, you have a little use for it. You have manners of great weight that challenge your care. Death is at the door. Beware that you lose not your souls. If blood breaks out in one part of the body, they often open a vein in another part of it to turn a stream of the blood and to stop it. Thus the Spirit of God sometimes cures men of sorrow for earthly things by opening the heart vein to bleed for sin. Did we pursue heavenly things more vigorously when our affairs in this life prosper not? We should thereby gain a double advantage. A worldly sorrow would be diverted and our best treasure increased. Crosses of this nature will not last long. The world's smiles and frowns will quickly be buried together in everlasting forgetfulness. Its smiles go away like foam on the water, and its frowns there is a passing ache in a man's side. Time flies away with swift wings and carries out earthly comforts and crosses too along with it. Neither of them will accompany us into the house appointed for all living. For in death the wicked cease from troubling and the weary are at rest. Even prisoners are at ease in death, with no guards to curse them. Rich and poor are there alike, and the slave is free from his master. Job 3, verses 17 to 19. Cast a look into eternity, and you will see affliction here in this world is but for a moment. The truth is, our time is so very short that it will not allow either our joys or griefs to come to perfection. Therefore, let them that weep be as though they wept not. And those who rejoice as though they rejoice not. First Corinthians 7, verses 29 to 31. Death will put all men on the same level. The king and the beggar must dwell in one house when they come to their journey's end. Though their entertainment, by the way, may be very different. The small and the greater there, Job 3, verse 19. We are all in this world as on a stage. It is no great matter whether a man acts a part of a prince or a peasant. For when they have acted their parts, they must both get behind the curtain and appear no more. Meditations upon death may serve for a bridle to curb all manner of your lusts, particularly those conversant about the body. A serious visit made to cold death and that solitary mansion, the grave, might be of good use to repress them. It may be of use to cause men to cease from their inordinate care for the body which is to many the bane of their souls. Often do these questions, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? And with what shall we be clothed? Leave no room for another of more importance, namely, with what shall I come before the Lord? The soul is put on the shelf to answer these base questions in favor of the body, while its own eternal interests are neglected. But ah, why are men so busy to repair the ruinous cottage? leaving the inhabitant to bleed to death of his wounds unheeded, unregarded. 
Why so much care for the body than the neglect of the concerns of the immortal soul? Oh, do not be so anxious, for what can only serve your bodies, since before long the clods of cold earth will serve for back and belly too. It may abate your pride on account of bodily endowments, which vain man is apt to glory in. Value not yourselves on the blossom of youth, for while you were in your blooming years, you were but ripening for a grave. Death gives a fatal stroke without asking anybody's age. Do not boast in your strength. It will quickly be gone. The time will soon be when you shall not be able to turn yourselves on a bed, and you must be carried by your grieving friends to your long home. And what signifies your healthful constitution? Death does not always enter in soonest where it begins soonest to knock at the door, but makes his great dispatch with some in a few hours as with other in many years. Do not value yourselves on your beauty, which shall consume in the grave. Psalm 49, verse 14. Remember the change which death makes on the fairest face. Job 14, verse 20. You always overpower them, and then they pass from the scene. You disfigure them in death and send them away. Death makes the greatest beauty so loathsome that it must be buried out of sight. Could a mirror be used in a house appointed for all living? It would be a terror to those who now look oftener into their mirrors and into their Bibles. And what, though the body be gorgeously arrayed, the finest clothes are but badges of our sin and shame, and in a little time will be exchanged for a shroud when the body will become a feast to the worms. Meditations on Death should serve as a check upon your sensuality and fleshly lusts. 1 Peter 2, verse 11. I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. It is hard to cause wet wood to take fire, and when the fire does take hold of it, it is soon extinguished. Sensuality makes men most unfit for divine communications and is an effectual means to quench the spirit. Intemperance in eating and drinking carries on the ruin of soul and body at once, and hastens death, while it makes a man most unfit for it. Therefore be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you unexpectedly, like a trap. Luke 21, verse 34. But oh, how often is a soul struck through with a dart, and gratifying the senses. At these doors, destruction enters in. Therefore Job made a covenant with his eyes. Chapter 31, verse 1. The mouth of a strange woman is a deep pit. He that is abhorred of the Lord shall fall therein. Proverbs 22, verse 14. Let him that stands take heed lest he fall. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Beware of lustful pleasure. Study modesty in your apparel, words, and actions. The ravens of the valley of death will at length pick out the lustful eye. The obscene, filthy tongue will at length be quiet in a land of silence and grim death, embracing the body in its cold arms will effectually allay the heat of all fleshly lusts. And where it may check our earthly mindedness and at once knock down the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Off we must die, why are we so fond of temporal things, so anxious to get them, so eager in the embraces of them, so mightily bothered with the loss of them. Let me upon a view of the house appointed for all living address a whirling in the words of Solomon in Proverbs 23, 5. Will you set your eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings, they flee away as an eagle towards heaven. Riches and all worldly things are but a lovely nothing. 
They are that which is not. They are not what they seem to be. They are but gilded vanities that deceive the eye. Comparatively, they are not. There is infinitely more of nothingness and non-being than of being or reality in the best of them. What is this world, and all that is in it but a fashion or fair show, such as men make on the stage? A passing show, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 31. Royal pomp is but gaudy show or appearance in God's account, Acts 25, verse 23. The best name they get is good things, but observe it. They are only the wicked man's good things, Luke 16, verse 25. You in your lifetime received your good things, says Abraham in the parable to the rich men in hell. Well, may the men of the world call these things their goods, for there is no other good in them, about them, nor attending them. Now, will you set your eyes upon empty shadows and fancies? Will you cause your eyes to flee on them as the word is? Shall men's hearts fly out of their eyes upon them as a ravenous bird on its prey? If they do, let them know that at length they shall flee as fast away from them as their eyes flow upon them like a flock of fair-feathered birds that settle on a fool's ground, which, when he runs to catch them at his own, do immediately take wing, fly away, and sitting down on his neighbor's ground, elude his expectation. Luke 12, verse 20. You fool! This night your soul shall be required of you. Then who shall these things be? Though you do not make wings to them as many do, they themselves make wings and fly away, not as a tame housebird, which may be caught again, but as an eagle which quickly flies out of sight and cannot be recalled. Forbear then to seek these things, O mortal. There is no good reason to be given why you should set your eyes upon them. This world is the great inn on the road to eternity to which you are traveling. You are attended by those things as servants belonging to the inn where you lodge. They wait upon you while you are there, and when you go away they will convoy you to the door. But they are not yours. They will not go away with you but return to wait on other strangers as they did on you.